Welcome to Family Business with Pradeep Sangha. I'm your host, and I'm also a family business owner and a family enterprise advisor. And this show is for anybody who is in a family business or a professional who works with family businesses and helps them succeed. So stay tuned and join us on this journey. So I'm super excited here today because we have Colin McCoy. He is the National Manager of Business Development at New Look Capital. Uh, For those of you who don't uh, or aren't familiar with New Look, they are a private equity, you can say firm, advisors. Um, I've gotten to know Colin. You know, I've gotten to know you a little bit here over the last several or a couple of months. Great guy. We've, We've hit it off. We've had some great conversations. So I'm excited to have you here and share some of your knowledge with our audience. Yeah, thanks so much, Pradeep. Really excited to have this conversation and be a part of the podcast. Yeah, this is awesome because yeah, we're we're two normal guys and we're talking about uh, you know the stuff that normally is kind of stiff for some people, right? When we when people think about private equity or uh, investment banking or whatever it may be, it's a kind of a different feel, and that's why I think um, just being able to talk to you, someone who's just down to earth and real, can explain things. I think that's important for for people out there to understand that private equity is not a bad thing because I think a lot of people have um, this weird thought when they think of private equity. Um, but I, I know you're going to be able to sh- uh, steer them in the right direction here. So maybe you can give everybody a sense of who you are, where you came from, and what you're focused on now. Yeah, no, that's that's more than a fair statement. Uh, I think everybody thinks to these big headlines private equity firms coming in with a a hacksaw, chopping away whatever they can to improve the bottom line. And at the expense of a lot of times patients, clients, and the employees. Uh, And that's not the most often case when it comes to private equity. So I mean, more than happy to expand on that a little bit later. Uh, When it comes to myself, I've been with New Look now for around a year. I've been involved in the banking system since I graduated from McMaster in 2016. So my seven, eight years of my professional career, I've been in finance uh, various different areas, started in kind of like estate planning, moved over into investment advice with a great team based in Burlington with a big bank, and then saw this opportunity to expand into the alternative investment space and really, I guess, add a slot to my tool belt because not just at the big banks, not just for general investors, but alternative investments tend to have this shroud of or this veil of kind of unknown essence to them. And being able to kind of tear away at that and truly understand the opportunities that exist out there was really important to me as someone who has managed people's money for them, who whose parents and family members come to them for advice. So to truly understand what's entirely available has kind of led me to this opportunity at New Look. And to be honest, it's a, a fantastic group. We have about 23 people at our head office here. And the ultimate goal of New Look Capital is to truly provide an institutional quality investment experience to Canadian investors. Because if you look at the Globe and Mail, you look at the Wall Street Journal, they always talk about the smart money. Where's the smart money? Where are the pension funds investing? Where are the endowments investing? And they'll see these large allocations to things like private equity, private credit, and these, these opportunities that feel so out of reach. And when you actually are given the opportunity or the resources, you can see that it is attainable for the average Canadian investor. And so that's what we're really focused on is providing that institutional experience to the everyday Canadian. And that's that's our ultimate goal. So when you say the everyday investor, 
Um, there's two questions here I have. Uh, the first one is uh, the average investor. What what amount are we talking about? What level are we talking about? People who have a hundred thousand dollars sitting in their account? Are we talking about people who have a million? Where where do you focus in New Look or with New Look? Yeah, so I would say to because of the aspects of private equity, um, maybe I should start with the, what differs to a normal investment vehicle that the average person would see. So when you go to your when you go to a retail bank, go to a branch, they'll have mutual funds and they'll say words like equity and fixed income. So equity representing stocks that trade on public exchanges. Those are your your TD banks, Royal Banks, um, power corporation, companies like that. And then they have the fixed income, which are guaranteed investment certificates, bonds, essentially what's viewed as a safer investment, not as big of return, but there's details that make it a little bit safer for the everyday investor. So what differs from private equity is we buy businesses that are not available on a public exchange, like the Toronto Stock Exchange, like the NASDAQ, like the New York Stock Exchange. And private equity, that's the only definition that matters when it comes. So you can buy industrial businesses like we do. You can buy tech companies. You can buy basically anything that's not publicly listed. And when you're dealing with businesses like that, it's not as simple as going to the exchange and then selling a stock. So we're actually dealing with real physical businesses. So when it comes to buying and selling these assets, it takes a longer time. So for an investor, what that means is that your investment isn't as liquid. So it's not as readily available. You can't just click a button and then sell your position and have your cash the next day. It's one of those things where you're looking at a five-year plus time horizon and you understand that you kind of look at it like a, a flight. You get on the flight at time zero, you know where your destination is in five years, but you don't jump out of the plane along the way. That's how it's best designed. And that's what really delivers the most value for these types of investments. So for the... For most people, when it comes to allocating to these things, you want to have a portfolio of investable assets, ideally above a million dollars. But that doesn't mean if you're under that, you shouldn't look at these options. You just may need to look at something a little bit more diversified as opposed to a individual strategy. So like at New Look, we have two very specific sectors that we invest in. We have industrial and infrastructure services, and we have the dental, and we have the dental space in Canada. So if you can only pick one or two things to invest in in the alternative space, we may not be a good fit because that's very specific in terms of your allocation. Mm -hmm. So you may want to look for a provider that has larger geographical and larger sector diversity. So there's lots of providers out there that offer that. But then again, it's just it's just a difference of how the fund is structured. We focus on two very specific areas to try and deliver results. So I'd say for us, the million plus is the sweet spot. But depending on your goals and your need for that money, other things could apply. Interesting. Thanks for for clarifying that. I think private equity is an interesting animal, and it's become a lot more popular within the last decade. Um, so it, it makes sense. You got the public markets, you got private equity, and that whole private is is essentially you're going after private enterprises. Um, and I think for some investors, because before. And I was in the banking sector for a long time. And when I would think of private equity, I'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, the shyster is kind of a kind of a group. But I think <laughs> there's a lot of great firms out there. Um, but there's always this feeling of security, right? Because ultimately that's a number one thing that investors look for is security. Mm-hmm. 
with the public market, at least there's this, you know, securities exchange. They're taking a look. There's regulatory requirements. Can you talk about, you know, coming from the private equity or you came from the other world, but being in the private equity, what are the, the, the regulations or what are the protocols that you follow or your organization follows to ensure that you're being good stewards of the money? Um, and also being transparent at the same time? Yeah, that's a great question because it will come down to the firm as those regulatory requirements aren't as strict on the private side. So your public companies have their quarterly filings, annual filings, public audits and things of that nature. For private equity, the requirements are more so on an annual basis. So for those full years, there's no truly audited financials available. So again, it'll come down to understanding some key things that these private equity firms put in place in order to prove that they're going to be good stewards of your wealth. So as an example for us here, we have our two specific teams on the dental side and on the industrial side who will then propose ideas or acquisition opportunities to our board of partners. Our partners, once they approve, we have an independent review committee that's in place in order to represent the investor. So essentially, these are people who have no interest on new looks profitability or within the deals, but they're truly there to identify, okay, this meets the investment thesis that we've discussed. And we believe this is a transaction in the best interest of the investors. So we have that in place. Another thing that you'll see as private equities get larger is they will have general counsels. So they will have lawyers on staff who are there to ensure that all regulatory requirements are met. So that's another thing that you can add to the checklist of, okay, what do they have in place to make sure that my interests are best represented. Because the fact of the matter is, it'll come down to the business itself. So I think in us work in dealing together, having the conversations that we've had, I aim to provide as much transparency as possible into an area that was previously not that viewable or that transparent. And it may be a more modern approach, but it's definitely the trend of the industry is because no longer are you able to just blindly take money put the veil down for five years and then magically come out the other side. We're now providing more and more opportunities to see behind the curtain, so to speak. And for us, that comes through in quarterly updates. So we send out quarterly communications to our investors. We are always like people like myself and my associates are always available to answer investor questions. Like we're here to serve the investor. And I'm not saying every private equity firm has acted like that in history, but that's definitely the trend going forward now, especially once you get above certain asset um assets under management levels more and more requirements be, become uh become needed from a regulatory standpoint so what you like to see is like i said a partner board that represents the investors but then an independent review committee having the general counsel on board because then you know there's people that are fully responsible for the investor's best interest mm, yeah great insight there so thank you i think the one thing that i appreciate in, in terms of your firm is that you focus on two specific industries and they're non-related, right? The dental practices, that's pretty stable. That's going to be there for, you know, for years, decades, hundreds of years to come, unless there's new technology, who knows? But it's, it's, it's fair to say that that's stable. And then the industrial service uh, services, especially here in Canada, with the growth that's happening and the immigration, that seems pretty stable as well. Um, so. I, I think from a stability standpoint, those two make sense. And I remember you saying those are what that's one of the reasons why you chose those two platforms is you're into stable businesses and sectors. Is that correct? 
Yeah, exactly. I think going back to the public perception of private equity, when as soon as you say that, people immediately jump to your Ubers and Facebooks and mm. these pre-IPO companies that had explosive technology growth. And that would fall under like the subgenre of venture capital in most circumstances. But I think that's what everyone, most people think of when they hear the terms private equity. But for us, we've always been focused on trying to provide something in the market that isn't readily or easily available. And for us, that was shown in these very stable recurring revenue focused businesses. So when we look at any opportunity, whether it's a new sector or if it's a business within the funds themselves, we want to see a few key metrics. So we want to see strong recurring revenue. We want to see recession resiliency, like in a best in. In the worst case scenario for an economy, from an economic perspective, like a recession, we want our businesses to still be going, doing their service work. So all of those, all of our businesses have strong ties to government bylaws or codes. Mm -hmm. And again, that stable base allows us to provide a smoother, I'll go back to my airplane example, a smoother ride to the destination because you know that if the economy is operating at 50%, our businesses are still at 80%. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great, great way to take a look at it. So what do you think is going to happen right now? So we are in April 2023 and there's rising interest rates or we'll see what ends up happening if they continue to rise. Inflation is pretty darn up there. Every time I go to the grocery store, it's <laughs> incredible what I see in terms of the markups. And I think grocery stores are milking it and juicing it for sure, grocery chains and, and suppliers. But what are your thoughts in terms of what's going to happen to the private equity world? And I'm not going to hold you to it because I know, you yeah, know, like it's a 50-50, but what, what are you guys forecasting or seeing for the next 12 or 24 months? Yeah. So a really good question and an impossible one to say with any sort of certainty. But I mean, with today being a a report from we had the Canadian jobs data today, and it was relatively strong. And that's what makes this current time in financial history particularly interesting is because generally during an economic downturn or a quote-unquote recession, you see lots of people wanting to get jobs. Like The labor market is more so on the company side. Lots of people are going to companies trying to get jobs, whereas for a lot of businesses right now, finding good people is very difficult. Um, on top of that, the speed at which inflation came was kind of unprecedented in comparison to into historical uh, comparables because even if you have tremendous pricing power, like some of our industrial businesses do, or like our dental offices do, passing that inflation from a cost perspective onto the end consumer, you almost couldn't do it fast enough because you'd increase prices and then all of a sudden inflation increased again by, call it a full percentage point the next week. You'd, you don't want to go back to those same client customers and be like, hey, no, we're going to bump you again. So it was a really interesting time, but we've seen some things stabilize towards the latter half of 2022. And one of the most important ones being the supply chain. So for a lot of um, technical components for us, like chip, everyone here, it's chip shortage, chip shortage, chip shortage. The Ford plant down in Oakville here had just trucks waiting for final chips and things like that for a long time. We're starting to see those ease. We're seeing the cost of space within shipping containers go back down towards more normal levels. So that gives us some confidence heading into 2023 from an ability to fulfill job orders. But from a public markets perspective, I do still feel like there's some opportunity for pullbacks throughout 2023. 
Um, the fact of the matter is like, we've had this little recovery run here to start 2023, but a lot of things still aren't aligning, aligning some traditional value metrics are still kind of out, out of whack. So I would say I, we believe that being a little bit more cautious with capital going into 23 is still the way to, the way to approach it. Cause at the end of the day, Warren Buffett says, when your bills come due, the only thing that matters is cash. And if you don't have cash on hand to pay the bills, they don't care about your reputation. They don't care about the equity you have built up in something. They, they can't, you can't pay your bills that way. So I can tie that into the fact that again, that's why we focus on the strong recurring cash, like recurring revenue portion of our businesses that are tied to those government codes. Because at the end of the day, these businesses need to continue to get that service work done and that'll continue the cash flow, which will pass on to investors. So for, for the average investor, just making sure you're properly allocated, like take 2022 as an opportunity to look in the mirror and say, was I overexposed? Did I have too much equity? Did I not have enough in the alternative space? And it's very easy to be tempted to leave things as is like, okay, the recovery started in the public equity markets, bond prices or bond values have increased again. I'm just going to leave it be. And you're just putting yourself in a position to again, be exposed the next time a drawback happens because Although there's lots that can be said negatively about private equity in terms of transparency, things of that nature, the fact of the matter is you're almost forced as an investor into holding through what would psychologically be difficult times to hold through. Mm -hmm. Because for the average Canadian, what I like to compare it to is a lot of people think their most successful investment is their principal residence. And a lot of the times their house is their most profitable investment because they've been forced to hold it for 20 years. If you had not sold that mutual fund or not sold that stock or that fund and held it for 20 years, more likely than not, you would seen similar, if not better returns. Yeah, interesting way to put it. So we've we've talked uh, on one side. So with private equity, there's typically two two sides. There's the investor side, right? Mm-hmm. If someone is looking to invest their money, they have money sitting there and they want a higher return or they want to. Um, diversify that's one aspect but then there's the other aspect someone who owns a business and they're looking to sell yeah right and those individuals uh, so can, maybe you can take us through quickly what your approach is do you actively go out there um and and knock on doors are you are introductions made um do you find that a lot of people reach out to you so for people out there who have whether it's a dental practice or a business in general they're thinking well, maybe a private equity company might be a good buyer or maybe a good equity partner. Um, what what are your thoughts in terms of how do you guys come across these individuals? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And it's, it differs slightly from fund to fund. So I'll start with the industrial side for us. Ultimately, there's a lot of brokers, invest smaller investment banks out there that deal in the space that we deal in. They focus on small, medium enterprises operating in these industrial infrastructure service areas. And they'll provide introductions. And that's kind of probably the most traditional way to get exposure or get access to a pipeline of deals in these areas. But what we've found and has been spectacular for us and for other private equity firms that have felt similar success is that if you do a good job as a partner with these owner operators and you help them drive business growth and you show that you are a value add, is they know lots of other people who are operating or small business owners and can be like, Hey, Tony or Jim or whomever, you guys should talk with these guys because they partnered with me two years ago and my EBITDA is up 
X number of percentage points. And they've done a really good job of not taking over, but being a true partner and allowing me to continue to grow and operate my business. So our most powerful way to get introductions is through our current business partners or owner operators who we've exited businesses with, because it immediately breaks the barrier that we're this big institution coming in to change everything. Because we have someone there that they know and trust that's like, no, no, trust me. These guys, they do a good job. They come in, they show you a clear path towards growth and they let you still run your business because the fact of the matter is we weren't the ones that grew their business and have run it for the last 10, 15 years. They're the ones that did that. They're the expert on the day-to-day. We come in to provide the growth capital and overarching strategy for and help them with the execution. So those warm referrals are our favorite way to get uh, to get introductions. And then good old classic cold calling. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Pound of the pavement there. Yeah. And so you you take a uh, majority shareholder role. Do you t- it's 100%. Do you ever take minority? Um, so we always take a majority position. So what's interesting about our platform companies. So when you look at our private equity strategy, we look for what we call fragmented in- industries. So lots of small little businesses operating. And we look for the opportunity to consolidate them under a larger kind of brand or umbrella. So that starts by finding a platform or a larger company to which we partner with. So in those acquisitions, we look for a 60 to 70% ownership structure, maintaining the current owner operator for that 30 to 40% piece. And from there, we'll look for additional acquisition uh, add-on opportunities. And then we'll purchase 100% of those businesses and integrate them into the platform company itself. So that's how we structure those deals on the dental side. We usually acquire 100% of the clinics themselves and then retain the current owning operating dentist for call it eight to 24 months, depending on the situation. And then they help transition the, the clientele, the patients to the next associate that comes in. So that's kind of how we structure those deals in that sense. Okay. Awesome. I, I think that you've given us a lot to think about in terms of private equity. I definitely want to have you on again because I, I want to talk about Okay, what you look for when you're acquiring mm. businesses, because I think yep. that's important, because that's one of the things that we do here um, at our organization. But it's always great to have a take from the buyer's perspective, right? Um, because that's the best way to sell something. If you know exactly what buyers are looking for, then you can cater and structure your business effectively and hopefully have that runway time to do it. Because one of the biggest challenges that people face and on the selling side is, they don't structure their businesses effectively because they're not thinking that they're going to sell tomorrow. They're not thinking that someone's going to knock on their door. And so that planning process, they leave to the last minute, if they even get to the last minute. And what they realize is, unless they're lucky, which does happen, right? Mm -hmm. Where someone may come to the door, whether it's a strategic buyer or a private equity company and says, your business is worth this and we're going to give it to you. Um, a lot of the times, business owners are forced to sell at a multiple or at a value that they could have gotten something better for. And so it'd be great to have your take in terms of what you look for um, from a from a company perspective before you're you're looking at acquiring them. yeah, it's um it's a really interesting part of the transaction from the business's perspective because, for such a long time, their main focus is on the day-to-day operations, growing it slowly over time. And you kind of get to this point where they blink and it's like, I want to hopefully exit in three to five years, whatever that number is. And understanding what is needed to put your business in its best position to, 
to be acquired or to look like a like a good acquisition opportunity as particularly to a strategic or to a private equity firm it's it's kind of a a mixture of of art and science i mean you can break it down to a lot of things but it's it ultimately will come down to a few key metrics and making sure that things like your accounting practices are are logical and easily followed and you're not having to dig out papers from 25 years ago to to go through due diligence and things like that. So there are definitely steps that can be taken to make sure you're in a really good position. Um, but, but yeah, more than happy to expand on that uh, now or at another time in the future. Well, yeah, I want, I want to give people a little bit of uh, a reason <laughs> to tune into the next uh, episode, because I think that in itself, we can go into a lot of detail here and give them a lot of insight. So I want to thank you for joining us, Colin. Uh, where can people go to find out more about you or New Look? Yeah, for sure. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Colin McCoy, C-O-L-I-N-M-C-C-O-Y, newlookcapital.com to our general website. Uh, we have contact information there as well. And um, more than happy to put my personal contact info in the show notes if that's possible. And we can go from there. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is um, important because the majority of our listeners are actually in the U.S., and so for those of you out there listening and, and who are in the U.S., New Look is also expanding into the U.S., so that's very important. Or if you're looking to expand your portfolio into Canada, uh, it's a great way to do it, especially with the exchange rate right now. So um, it definitely take into that into consideration. So Colin, thank you for joining us. I'm looking forward to having you here again to talk in more in depth uh, on the buying side in terms of what you look for. So thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Pradeep. My pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to Family Business with Pradeep Sangha. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, like, and share this episode with your network. 